So we can already see the seeds have, have been planted toward this love of many growing cold based on, on what's happening in our, in our world. And then so all this eventually is, is going to kind of bear fruit um, with a specific hatred toward um, God's people. But we're not there yet. Hey there, true believers, sit tight. I am about to begin my second podcast on eschatology and continue this interview with Travis Walker from Adventology. Hey there, fellow true believers. Welcome to Simply Devotion, a podcast that takes complex theological ideas and transforms them into points of understanding. I am your host, Pastor Vinny, from simplyvinny.com. Hey, I want to jump right back into my interview with Travis Walker from Adventology. Travis and I were talking about Matthew 24, the signs and the love of many growing cold, and we had just round the corner of introducing the idea that no man knoweth the day or the hour of the return of Christ. This is a part of a series I'm doing on the eschatology of Jesus. That is, the study of last day events in the perspective that Jesus gave it to us in the Sermon of Olives in Matthew 24 and 25 predominantly. Travis Walker is a very successful pastor and podcaster. His podcast is called Adventology, and it is a podcast right on target to what we are talking about. It is all about preparing people for the second return of Jesus Christ. Now, I will have some closing remarks at the end, but I want to just jump right into this and not delay a moment because I was riveted by my conversation with Travis and and y'all waited a week to hear the second half of it and it's really deep stuff i appreciate travis and adventology so let's just jump right into it when we try to get too confident in our interpreting of the signs and and uh, we we make statements that sound very authoritative and very um just sure of ourselves um, it is attractive to people who are insecure and want something to hold on to so that's why those types of individuals who who tend to make predictions um, that the bible doesn't in my opinion um, you know give clear light on but it you know the bible refers to these things as as eventually going to happen but sometimes people start to say yes it's happening now or look you know this is the fulfillment of this in the bible and and a lot of times they do it prematurely but it it seems to attract people who are looking for something to hold on to in a, in a chaotic world in a world that um just is changing constantly um some sort of surety and and making sense of the chaos um it, it draws people in and 
And so I have sympathy, honestly, for the ones who get drawn into that. I understand what they're looking for. They're looking for some sort of security. And if they feel like somebody is telling them that Jesus is going to come in 2026 or he's going to come in 2024 or whatever, and, and and there's like some level of, okay, I, I can handle this. I can, I can, I can uh, prepare for that gives them something tangible. But unfortunately, as we have seen throughout history, the, the true um, result of that premature kind of speculative approach to, to the Bible and specifically, you know, verses like here in 24 or like predominantly like in Revelation, um, you know, is that they're eventually proven wrong. And, and then the, the actual result is worse than if they had never done it at all because people lose their belief in the Bible. And it's not the Bible's fault. It's just that people who claim to know a lot about the Bible and sound really smart make a compelling argument. And, uh, and essentially, this is why Matthew 24 is here. Is Jesus is trying to tell us, look, don't get caught up into that stuff because right. you'll get disappointed and you're going to lose your faith. So here's the truth. Yeah, perfect. You know, um, I think we both know as pastors, we probably have church members um, who who've got caught up in this stuff. Um, I think it generally happens out of an insecurity of your own salvation. You know, like I'm afraid that Jesus is going to come and I'm not going to be ready. So like you were saying, if I know the date, I can, I can work towards being ready, but being ready doesn't work like that. It's just not like something you work up to and like <laughs> get in shape for, you know, um, you, you either accept Jesus as your atonement or you don't. It's like this fear, this insecurity, but Jesus is clearly telling us here in 36 about the day or the hour. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven. Now, the next phrase here, Travis, is just boggles my mind, uh, nor the sun. <laughs> so you don't know, I don't know, whatever prophet is preaching to you don't know. The angels don't know. According to Jesus, <laughs> you know, he doesn't know, at least at this point when he's standing on the mount. Like, he doesn't know, right? Only the father knows. Yeah, that, that, that is, I mean, I, I try to tread lightly, try to tread carefully when it comes to like the omniscience of God and, and just the sovereignty of God versus man free will. There, there's a lot, obviously, historically within Protestantism, we have struggled with sovereignty versus free will in, in a lot of doctrines, uh, predominantly salvation. But um, here it also applies uh you know, and, and, and the only thing I can say to this is um, in Second Peter chapter three, Peter talks about that we can we can hasten the day of the of the coming of Jesus, right? It's gonna come when it's when it's when it's ready. It's not like it's predetermined. It's it's the, and essentially what's what's holding it up. We we read about it already in verse fourteen. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, right? Then the end will come. So I think there is a certain level where, where God is waiting for for us, and and it's it's kind of you know he he's he's depending on the church and God's people to to do something, and until they do it, 
it's not going to happen. So maybe we might use the phrase, there's a cause and effect at play. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and again, this would go back to the idea of why you and I see points of persecution being pointed out in the eschatology of Jesus as not necessarily being scary or bad, but a part of that cause and effect, a part of that push, a part of that, hey, if I don't do it, someone's going to take it. You know, there's going to be Adventology part four out there that's got nothing to do with me, right? <laughs> you, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like, you know, at some point, Steven Spielberg stopped making Jaws movies and other people did and it got bad, right? <laughs> right? So, so you, you, you know, so, so this, the eschatology of Jesus includes this idea of, yeah, God's sovereignty is intact. He's all-knowing, but, and he knows when we, were, we will respond to a push and not a push, but there's cause and effect, you know, like, and, and, and so earthquakes come and, and signs come and those signs are not meant to scare us, but to wake us up. Right. And, and I'll really be diving into that when I deal with the, the parable of the midnight cry. Um, these signs are to wake us up and to help us come back to sort of a, a fullness of faithfulness. Does that make sense? I don't know. Well, yeah. And, and I just want to be clear if I wasn't, it says here, God does know, like the father does know. So, so what we're saying here is that um, there's, there's a certain level of like, for instance, if you know who won, if you're watching a football game or whatever sport you enjoy, how much fun is it to watch the game when you already know the end before you start watching? It's not as interesting. You're not as in, engaged in it. Because you know, you know who who won, who lost before you start. Um, I I think it's it's also the angels, um, you know, the, at least for the angels. And I, I I have to admit, I don't quite understand the whole Christ not knowing, and I'm not going to try to to go into that here because it it is beyond my comprehension. Um, I I will acknowledge my limitations, but but with the angels, it makes sense to me. Clearly, because what are they doing? They're, they're, they're down here fighting for souls, right? I mean, they're literally, you, you have angels all around us. And they're, what is their one goal? They're trying to save as many people and they're trying to cooperate with us to save others. So they don't even know who's going to be saved or lost. And if they did know someone was going to be lost, would you put as much effort into trying to save someone you knew was already, had already chosen to be lost? No, the natural tendency would be like, well, I'm not going to try to help all these people, if I already know they're lost. So, but I think God allows the angels and all of us um, to, to live out um, our lives uh, because in the judgment, it's going to be shown that God showed no favoritism. Like every single person had equal uh, amount of effort put into their salvation. And even though God knew the ones who would be saved and those who wouldn't, uh, it didn't change the amount of effort that was put forth. And I think the best example of that is Judas, right? Uh, mm. He, you know, there was never an indication that he was treated differently than the 12 up until the moment he kissed Jesus and betrayed him. And, uh, and so I think that's, that's part of what, what is going on here with the not knowing the day or the hour, you know, uh, you know, there, there is going to be no favoritism shown. Um, God is, is going to come. He tells us we need to be ready. Um, and then I think, you know, verses uh, 42 
to uh, 51 um, kind of show us why we, we, we need to be ready because uh, that's, that's a pretty severe um, contrast there. When we talk about God, you know, we're talking about things that are really hard to understand when we talk about his nature. And, 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 and so I'm very careful also in talking about the nature of God. Um, all I know is what Jesus is saying is here on earth at this moment, he doesn't know. Does he willfully not know? Did he lay that aside when he took on human flesh? Will he know when he ascends back to the father? I don't know. But, but the only thing I can faithfully as um, a biblical Christian and an exegete do is trust what he said. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I, I like to see the ending of this chapter sort of, I, I think I call it when I preach about the ending of this chapter, I call it living with wisdom, you know, because Jesus is basically telling people, you don't know when I'm coming. You know, you don't know the signs when they're all going to be fulfilled. I mean, you've seen the wars. You, you've seen the earthquakes increase. You've seen the pestilences increase. You know, Adventology is out there preaching to the world, right? So the gospel is going out there. We, we, we know these things are coming. There's persecution happening. There's false prophets happening. Um, but the day or the hour, he's going to put you in the zone, but he's not going to give you this day and he tells us in 45, why, in my opinion. And, and, and so in verse 45, he says, who then is the faithful servant whom the master puts in charge of the servants of his household and gives them their food at their proper time? And by the way, Travis, just a segue for my listeners, Jesus is saying this because he's going to tell a whole parable about this in the next chapter, <laughs> right? Oh, so yeah. I want them to see the overlap here. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Yeah. The, all those parables are, are, are directed towards, uh, believers, you know, and, and it's related to, like you said here, the, the 42 to, to 51 kind of connect to those other three parables. Right. And, and in 46, he goes on to say, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions, which just, just rings Matthew 25 to me, but nonetheless, Jesus is saying, I've given you signs. I've told you what you're supposed to be doing. Verse 14, the gospel should be going to the world. I've edged you along with persecution when you got sleepy or you let your love grow cold. And I've not told you the exact time, but that don't matter because of everything else. When I come, I expect you to be doing what I told you to do. <laughs> like, right. I think there's, it's, he's building here, right? Yeah, no, it just, it just reminds me of, um, you remember in the end of the Gospel of John and, mm -hmm. and uh, Peter and Jesus are walking and, and Peter, you know, is told by Jesus, you know, that you're, you're, when you get old, you're, you're gonna, essentially, you're gonna die for me and and then he turns and, and looks at at john and he says well, what about him and jesus says don't worry about him you follow me right and that mm -hmm. is that's kind of what i see here it's like 
like if, if you're turning and looking around at everything else, um, you're going to be distracted from the main thing being the main thing. Absolutely. Let me insert verses 48 through 50. Um, chapter 24, 48 through 50. Verse 48. Suppose you don't do that. <laughs> Suppose that instead of that, uh, the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master, he's gone away a long time. Mm-hmm. So, since my master's not going to be back anytime soon, let me abuse my brother. Let me beat my servant. Mm-hmm. You know, let me eat and get drunk with the drunkards and be selfish. That promotes my selfish appetites to be fulfilled. Right. Rather than to give out food, which is what it's saying to do in 45. You notice that 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 49 is about consuming and gluttony, whereas 45 is about, verse 45 is about giving away food and possessions, right? Um, it's this manipulation so that when the master will come on that day, when he does not expect, uh, here's that phrase again, in the day and hour that he's not aware of, uh, we'll wait to get to 51, but the master's not going to be happy. <laughs> right. And, uh, and and eventually you're going to, like it says here, I mean, drunk with the drunkards, um, you know, he uh, and beating his fellow servants. I mean, those are, you know, metaphors for, um, I believe, you know, that drinking isn't like literal here, but it's drinking of the false uh, teachings of the world, right? And, and, and beating your fellow servants is, is just you know, kind of fulfilling Matthew 24 uh, earlier where it says, you know, the love of many will grow cold. We'll start um, viewing people as as uh, as our enemies that God has said we're to love, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and we'll feel justified in doing that because we'll have um, other people around us who have drank this false doctrine that that somehow justifies mistreating others because they are different than us. And, and the moment we accept that false doctrine, we are drinking that, we're drunk with it, and we mistreat others, and we don't even realize it, and we're totally distracted from uh, preparing for Jesus. Um, I think that's, and, the, and I think you see that right now. I think, I think that's, that's happening in the church. Dude, you, you, you are so on. You are so on. Um, I think... It is what's happening in the church now. And I think failure to see this may make us align with the beast power of Revelation. Again, future podcast, hang in there. <laughs> I was like, whoa, you just dropped a bomb there, man. <laughs> plug, plug. <laughs> uh, right? By the like, way, I have an episode on that too. <laughs> yeah, so, so failure to see that may make us align with the enemy to, to be on the wrong side at the end right in in the churches to wake up face some persecution um deal with their unloving behavior mm-hmm. stop Correct. justifying beating the servant as you pointed out we act this way when we think we're right and other people are wrong we were always wrong and Jesus was always right. We can't be so sure we're always right. 
I can have a lot of things right. The right denomination. I picked out the right Bible translation. I picked the right pastor that I sit under. I picked out the right music that I think is holy. And then act like, and I'll drop that word again, the beast or the antichrist. You can't do the work of Jesus with the methods of the evil one. Well, just to jump on there, I mean, Revelation 12 says that, um, calls the devil the accuser of the brethren, right? Um, So that's one of his titles. Where do you find God being referred to as the accuser of the brethren? Uh, Never. John chapter three, verse 16 and 17, you know, I mean, he didn't come to condemn, but that the world through him might be saved. Um, and, and so why would a, a movement, a Christian movement that represents God have anything to do with accusing anybody uh, in the last day? In fact, the book of Jude says, uh, you know, even the Lord wouldn't raise a reviling accusation. He just said, I rebuke you. Um, Satan, you know, but he didn't actually engage in a in an accusation contest, you know, back and forth with with the devil, even when they were, um, you know, when he was opposing him about Moses's body and, and raising him up. So so God does not get into accusation wars with the devil. And uh, and and the devil is the is the accuser. He's the one who's always trying to say that he, he was the one who was wronged by God, that, that he is right, God is wrong, and he's always trying to justify himself. And so if we get into that spirit of self-justification and by doing so, point the finger at others, we're not participating in the spirit of Christ doing that, even if we think we're doing it for the right cause. It's the, it's the, wrong, the wrong method and the ends does not justify the means. I can't emphasize that enough, at least in my own uh, the way that I view things, that that to me is a is a cardinal um, uh, cardinal lens that I use to to analyze uh, a situation. And, and if I see that somebody has a, a righteous cause, but they're doing it in the wrong way, I, I avoid that. My 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 Irish Catholic grandma used to put it this way: If she caught me doing that, she would say. Little Vince, because my grandfather was also Vince. He was big Vince. Little Vince, you're so right that you're wrong. (laughs) Right? You're so right. Like, your cause is right. Your reason is right. But the way you're doing it makes what would be right wrong. And I think that is what happens to Christians sometimes. They may have the right cause. They may have the right spiritual principle they want to see but they pursue that rightness to Uh invent the term (laughs) they pursue that rightness with cold love yeah i mean we're told to speak the truth um but but we're told to do it in love Mm -hmm. and i think that i mean God can use anything. And, and I'm not saying that, um, you know, we're, we're, I, mean, I don't think we're saying that if, if for some reason you or any of us have done things, um, the right things in the wrong way, 
that um, that completely cancels out our our good intentions. Um, but but it's the effectiveness is uh, is very limited, and um, and so we have to learn Christ's method. Um, you know, when it comes to, to presenting truth. And, uh, and I think that's what you said that the difference between the, the two servants is that one is, is using Christ's method and the other is engaging in the methods of the world. And, uh, and, and one becomes ready because they're by doing it Christ's way, we, we have to, um, we can't shortcut the love side of it. We can't say, Oh, we just need to tell people the truth and it doesn't matter how we do it. As long as they get it, that's, that's enough. But, but, uh, that is, uh, it, it's, it, it woefully falls short of, of the, um, example that Jesus set for us and we're to follow him. And because if we're not doing it in love, who are we doing it for? Who are we doing it for? We're really doing it for ourselves then, right? Because he said in, in 1 John, right? He says, if, if you claim to know me, but hate your brother, right? You're a liar and the truth is not in you. Right? Amen. So, so even, even when we're saying the truth, if we're doing it not out of love, we're, we're not even telling the truth because we're doing it in such a way that it's really about us. We're really trying to justify ourselves and make ourselves like feel better because, you know, we believe the right things. And so we feel threatened by somebody else challenging that. And, and we're more concerned with being right than, than, than really loving our brother and sister. So I feel like that's really the test here at the end of, of Matthew 24, that we can judge ourselves. If, if we claim to be servants of Christ looking for a soon coming, and, and I'm sure you're going to get into this more, uh, in the other parables, because they're in each and every one, the, the same concept of, of like trying to discern between the true and the false servant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> that is all three parables of Matthew 25. Yes, yes. Bam, bam, bam. And then I think that's why he's ending Matthew 24. He's ending this part of the sermon and going into the part of the sermon that is about the parables because he is transitioning right and um for for me yeah if 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 you can't love like jesus you're not doing the ministry of the good shepherd you know um it's not the good hunter <laughs> it, it, it's 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 not the good prosecutor it, 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 it's 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 not the good uh, politician it's 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 not the good nonprofit organization it's a good shepherd and what does the shepherd do the shepherd loves the sheep evidently even the sheep that is not in his fold right who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of his servants in his household to give them their what? Their food, their spiritual food, their understanding. When? In the proper time. How do we know the proper time? The signs, the persecution, uh -huh. all those things we've been talking about, right? This is what we're supposed to be doing, right? That's right. And um, 
And this is the food that nourishes, right? The other stuff, it, it's like junk food, right? It tastes good and it makes you sick. And a lot of what Christians are addicted to is, is junk food Christianity. It's not the stuff that um, is ultimately going to, to create that balanced, healthy, uh, abundant life. Like you just keep coming back to John 10. I mean, that's, that's about um, nourishing with, with the proper food, this proper spiritual food. And if it's not, if it's not seasoned with, with the salt of love, right? I mean, that's, Paul uses that terminology that, that of salt with love. And I think Jesus does in, in the Sermon of the Mount too. We, we, everything has to be seasoned with the salt of love or else it's, uh, you know, first Corinthians 13, you know, we can do all these things without love or nothing. And, uh, it it just becomes an exercise. And like I said, self-promotion, self-justification, and we end up being just like the devil pointing the finger. And, and until the end, he's still denying that he's done anything wrong. And, And that's the crazy thing. Even after all this time and all the mess that he's made, he still won't admit that he did wrong. And, uh, and if we're in that same boat, that's the same spirit we're going to have. And so we, you know, these words of Jesus check that attitude and help us to really see where our hearts are. It, it really does. And, and I love your, your first Corinthians 13 reference. All we can do all these things, but if we don't have love and one of the things on that list in first Corinthians 13 is we can know all prophecy. <laughs> like that's, that's right. literally on the list. Am I wrong? <laughs> No, it's right there. <laughs> right? And if we don't have love, it's just noise. Um, and I like what you're saying because, you know, I, the other thing I was thinking as you were talking is I was remembering because I've been researching for something I'm writing about, you know, the word Satan or Satan in Hebrew literally means accuser. Um, it means adversary. The, the cleanest translation would be adversary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you're either going to be a shepherd or an adversary. And, and, and here's the way I would say it. And then I'm going to read 51. And I'm going to give you last thoughts to sum up anything you want to say about the eschatology of Jesus. Sure. It, here, here's the way I would say it. You're either a shepherd or an adversary to the sheep. Jesus uses the word hireling. You're a shepherd or a hireling, a shepherd or, or an adversary. But if you are an adversary of the sheep, that makes you an adversary of the shepherd because the shepherd is always on the sheep's side. And of the adversary of the sheep, the final verse in Matthew 24 speaks of what happens to such adversaries. He will cut him to pieces and assign him to the place with the hypocrites. And the Greek there literally means actors, the people who acted, pretended they had real faith, where there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. And this is dark and deep, and I don't want to end there. But I want to show that stark difference between the adversary and the shepherd, those who love and those who have let their love grow cold, those who feed and nourish others, and those who engage in gluttony and get drunk. They're two different groups. 
Um, I'm going to give you the last word on the eschatology of Jesus. Anything from this chapter, anything is in your heart. It's, it's yours, man. <laughs> Thanks. Um, no, I think, I think we need to be sobered up with, with verses like verse 51. It's important to know the ultimate cause and effect of our, of our choices. And, um, so it's not there to scare us. It's there to just let us know the reality that if, um, we're trying to pretend our way into the kingdom, it's not going to work. Um, you know, we, we can be wolves in sheep's clothing. We can look like sheep, but it's how we treat the other sheep that determines if we're a sheep or not. If we're a wolf in sheep's clothing, we're going to, like he was saying, we're going to beat, um, and, 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 and abuse, uh, those around us. Uh, and ultimately it becomes all about us. What, what we can, what am I getting out of this? Um, and and Christianity is not about what I can get out of anything. It's um, about a recognition that I can't get anything without Christ, without uh, a total change in my character, in my heart, in my attitude. Um, I'm, I'm self-destructing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm nothing without Christ. Only when he's in me does my life have meaning and purpose and value. Um, because uh, because everything else I do separate from him is is an is an act of self destruction and, and and essentially that's what's happening to the world today. Um, it's the natural result of just being disconnected from God. God isn't coming to destroy the earth because of some vendetta. It, 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 he's coming to to re, to relieve the suffering. We we're suffering because of our sin. And, and it's merciful that God is going to come and end sin and suffering. Um, even those who aren't saved, it's merciful because we are our own worst enemy without Christ. And, uh, and so the gospel is good news because it's, it's something outside of ourselves. We, we don't have to uh, try harder. We just have to look and live. We just have to look and live and as we as we as we look to Jesus, um, you know, the author and finisher of our faith, like Hebrews tells us, you know, we we become changed, um, and uh, and and that's the beauty that that's what we're talking about here. We we want you as a listener to to be ready for Jesus by by looking and living and 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 putting that these principles into your own heart to, to discern what's going on around you. And so you can say, is that really what I want? Do I want to go down that path, the wide path that the road, that the world is going down and I can see the end. Do I want that end or do I want the other way that Jesus came to show us? And yeah, it's the narrow gate and it's the narrow way, but it's the way that it goes up and it's the way that ultimately gives me that abundant life and that purpose and that joy and the peace of knowing that uh, there's a God who loves me and he's given me love that I can share with others. So I hope um, as, as your listeners are, are contemplating these thoughts that that, that really becomes the, the clear purpose for studying this topic in their own heart and, and that ultimately we're, we're more committed to, to Christ today than we were yesterday.
I just love the pastoral quality of Pastor Travis Walker from Adventology. I highly recommend you check out his podcast in Now You Know Why. Um, Adventology seeks to prepare people to get ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And these two interviews we did, um, two halves of an interview you heard each week, you can really hear Pastor Travis's urgency for the times we live in, but the mixture of that pastoral side of wanting people to not get lost along the way, to not fall off the cliff, not to jump off the cliff into extreme ideology. So Pastor Travis really brings to the Adventology podcast um, that pastoral side, the prophecy and eschatology. So I highly recommend his podcast to you. But for us here at Simply Devotion, the reason that we are looking at the eschatology of Jesus, the study of last day events or last things that Jesus wants us to focus on as our world ends, is to deepen this connection we have to Jesus. We are going to, next week, continue studying the eschatology of Jesus. We will probably do that for three, maybe four more weeks as we close out this season of Simply Devotion. Next week, I'm going to be looking at some of these same ideas that Pastor Travis and I spoke about in this two-part interview, but I will be looking at them particularly from Luke and Mark. And after we've looked at some variances, difference in the Sermon of Olives in Luke's account and Mark's account, then we will jump back to Matthew and look at the three parables in Matthew 25, the second half of the Sermon of Olives. Look, I am so excited because as we study these events that Jesus spoke about towards the end of the world, this really, really helps us to understand how much Jesus loves us, that he has foretold us of all of these things that would happen. Nothing has to catch us off guard. Nothing has to create anxiety in us as we have studied in a previous podcast about anxiety. Nothing has to be, you know, earth shattering to us. But really, what Simply Devotion is doing is helping you build a deeper theological understanding of Jesus Christ so that you'll be ready for whatever crisis may be ahead of us. And so Jesus told us here in the Sermon of Olives that if it was possible, the deception would be so strong to even fool the elect. I want to tell you, if we study these prophecies, I want to tell you, if we have an abiding, heartfelt relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you, if we seek and hear the Spirit of Jesus through the Word of the Bible, 
And as we study it together in this podcast, it will not be possible for you to be pulled away from your connection to Him. You have been listening to a podcast by Pastor Vinny McIsaac from simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, check out our blogs, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of jazzy promotional stuff. But most important, let's keep growing together in Jesus Christ all the more as we see the day of his return approaching. See you at the next podcast. God bless.